Um, and I know people that, you know, they go up, they work for a couple months, they make, like I said, uh, their year's worth of money, you know, 50, 60, 70 grand in a couple months. And then they get a bunch of free weed <laughs> and then they go do whatever else for the rest of the year. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash half hour intern. In today's episode, I speak with a good friend of mine who, for the sake of this episode, is going to go by the name of Alex. So uh, this is actually going to be the first of a two-part series on managing a weed grow operation. So my friend Alex operates in Los Angeles, California, and manages a uh, an entire warehouse, a grow warehouse, um, where then the weed mostly gets sold to dispensaries in California. So in part one here, we will learn a lot about the logistics of a grow house, like how it needs to be set up. We will learn about the science as well behind growing. So like what exactly is happening with the plants, how much sunlight they need, how much water they need, all those sorts of things. So without further ado, here is part one of Marijuana Grow Manager. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. My pleasure, Blake. Yeah. So, all right, why don't you kind of start us from the beginning? I would love it if you could give us maybe a little bit of history on like the weed growing operations of Southern California in that like you're you're managing this grow operation in warehouses in the greater Los Angeles area. If this were 20 years ago, did any of these grow operations exist really or is this something newer with dispensaries and everything? And if they did exist 20 years ago, how few of them were there compared to now that it's, you know, it first was legal for medical marijuana. And then, uh, I mean, as of a few months ago is, is just straight up legal in California. Right. So, wow, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, 20 years ago, that was way before my time that I got into the industry. That'd be so dope uh, if you were just 10 years old, just slanging it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little weed prodigy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely way more secretive, that's for sure. I mean, I think the medical marijuana industry was just, gosh, 20 years ago, it was probably just getting started here, uh, but it was nowhere near as, you know, prevalent as it is now. I mean, in LA, I think you could probably drive through the valley or parts of uh, downtown and just pick out buildings at random, and I'm sure that there's a weed grow going on. In somewhere, anywhere you look, really, it's there's so much going on out here. It's crazy. There's and you, you can't fill the demand either. There's, I mean, it's it's going up in smoke. Yeah, that's the next thing that I would. First of all, great pun. Second of all, uh, I that, that's the other thing I was going to ask is like it, it seems like if there's so much supply at a certain point, it would just outpace demand. But do more and more people continue to get their cards? What exactly is going on in the state of California right now in terms of legalization because i have family in, in california i just moved away from california and like when i went back it's not like you can like supposedly it got voted for to make it legalized i don't know when that's all supposed to go down because it's not like you could just like go to walgreens and buy some weed right now or right. 
or, or even like me, a layman, I, I didn't believe anyways that I'm allowed to just like walk into a dispensary. You still need a, a recommendation, right? So in terms of demand, are more people getting their cards? Uh, I, I, have, I have no idea if more people are getting their cards or not, but I know that everybody's smoking weed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but and in terms of demand, I mean, a lot of it goes out of state, right? There's so many states in the union that don't have a, even a medical program. Um, and even if they do, it's, you know, they still don't have access to it. There may be one dispensary in their, you know, in a hundred mile radius or whatever it is. So people, people ship it out. Mm. Um, and in terms of, uh, the like recent legalization recreationally in California, you're not going to be able to go into a recreational store until 2018. Okay. But possession for the layman is decriminalized and, you know, you can just have, I think, up to an ounce on you, um, just you know, walking around, and it and it's totally fine. Um, there, when that, I think it was Prop sixty four was passed, um, it does lay out a, the groundwork for a whole system of taxation and distribution, mm. and it's it's pretty complicated. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, overregulated. It's kind of like a a money grab and it allows big, big ag to come in and really just dominate the market in a few years. I think, uh, a, on a personal level, I think a better, uh, option was the, there was a, a proposition a few years ago called, uh, regulate marijuana, like wine act, something like that. And it was, it was just a one page bill and it, it was something that was way more laissez faire than this big, you know, 65 page bill that was passed, um, last year it's interesting you mentioned about like big agriculture coming in and trying to jump in on this which just makes so much sense i mean i i I interviewed an organic farmer on this show and he was talking about just how unbelievably thin the margins have become on organic produce and how a lot of times they even take losses and things like that so you know you talk about going from something where yeah out of a hundred acres of land, you might end up making like ten thousand dollars or something like that. To yeah. what you what you guys are doing, it's like it would be an unthinkable change for these organic farmers um, or, or any sort of farm operation in general. Uh, do you think that there's any sort of bill that could have been passed that would have prevented that, or just it, no matter what, like that was going to be what was going to happen when any sort of legalization happened? Would have been that giant farming operations would have been like, thank God, like finally we can start supplementing our income with something else. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know the uh, the economics of it, but I do know that you know, as as with any big industry, when they get their fingers in government, they can kind of make things you know benefit them, right? And they have they have, since they work on economies of scale. Anytime there are um, inspection fees or fees to get started, they unfairly. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It um, it doesn't benefit. It makes it harder for smaller people to to kind of get into the game, right? There's a barrier to entry on industries when there are fees, and big big companies can eat those fees, and they kind of get diluted through the uh, because of their size. So, it, I guess at any point, big business would have come in, but um, this bill seems to favor them more just because there's so much regulation and so many fees and taxes involved. But I mean, at the end of the day, more people getting their medicine is better. More people having access to this uh, drug is better. Um, and 
and not putting people in jail for a plant is better. So even against yeah, my own kind of best best financial interest, I voted for the for it because I don't think it's worth you know um, our soul putting people in jail for a plant. You know? Yeah, very silly. Talk to us about the setup of a warehouse. So you run various grow operations, various warehouses. Like, I guess, are these, like you said, are these warehouses like in a particular special area or or like if you were looking for real estate, are there certain qualifications when you're looking for a warehouse, like in terms of it be as far away from a police station as possible or something? (laughs) Or is it like, no, like it can be anywhere. And then uh, talk to us a little bit about just like the overall setup of a warehouse. Right. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, have, there is a, there is one that's very, very close to some <laughs> high-risk operation. But, yeah, I mean, things you want to look for, right? You want Number one, you want to make sure that there is uh, a cool landlord because you want to be upfront with your landlord. Um, because if, they have, if they're on your side, they can help you with things like when the government comes, like if the DWP comes in or if uh, Bureau of Land Management or any of these governmental organizations... Um, so this is really interesting. I would have figured that you would have had to have been buying these properties because, uh, there was no way that a landlord would be cool with that. Uh, just really quickly to interject are because you're looking for a quote unquote cool landlord, are you paying grossly exorbitant rent, um, for this cool landlord? Uh, sometimes, you know, um, and, and just to kind of frame this, you know, there are, lots of different sizes and types of, of growing operations just in terms of organizational structure, right? So you have some big, big growers in California, like um, I want to think they're called Wild Boys and there's another company called THC Design and, and they're, you know, they're big corporate structures and, you know, they probably operate uh, at least state, uh, uh, statewide, they operate kind of as, as above board as possible, but there's still some gray area. And then there's people that are just total guerrilla grows and then you know i would probably say my stuff is kind of somewhere in the middle kind of gray right it's it's tough to be totally above board on on everything uh and still be able to keep your head above water so let me i'll frame it that way um what would be what being above board like what would that even mean exactly because so and let's say going prior to this bill being passed um this is something that you and I were speaking about before, and it's something that I still can't really wrap my head around entirely, which is it's it's this regulated thing, but it was so unregulated in ter- you know when it was just medical marijuana that it's like it's legal, it's not legal. Like back when medical marijuana was first passed, like you had federal um, agents like busting these operations regularly. Um, and then finally, like Obama said to put a stop to that. I don't know how much that actually curbed it or not. So it was like legal on a state level, illegal on a federal level. And <clears throat> I guess what it like, it's not like you guys have a license, right? That says like, nope, we're all good. It's like, you know, when you walk into a restaurant and they have like the grade A on the thing yeah. and then you walk back into their office and they have all these licenses on the wall. Like, oh, here's our blah, blah, blah license. There's our blah, blah, blah license. It's not like you guys, it, it's funny that a, that a restaurant would have to get like 20 different licenses and you guys, I doubt, have any licenses like sitting up in your warehouse, right? Well, um, some some we do, right? So, I mean, the with the medical program, Prop 215, back in the 90s and, and up until now, 
basically you operate as a collective, right? And that's what they even call some dispensaries, a collective. As a patient, you are allowed a certain number of plants that you are allowed to cultivate. Um, and I, what a collective does is that you sign those plants over to the collective and they grow for the those patients, right? So let's say you have 100 patients and you're allowed to grow 12 per patient, you know, 12 times 100 is, I don't know, you do the math. I'm not good at math. That's uh, least like 12,000. I think it's a million, actually. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's how it works. And you're supposed to have those, that paperwork posted uh, where you grow. Um, even then, that's no guarantee cause, because cops are cops. And um, on one hand, uh, that may be sufficient, but a lot of times, you know, they'll get you on something else. So they'll find some other reason to come in and cut your plants down, whether you're drawing too much power or water or the, uh, a door is not facing the right direction. Because with, with these warehouses, you're building out rooms inside because the name of the game is, you know, in controlling your environment. So you get a big warehouse and then you build rooms. You have a room for where you're vegging the plants, vegetative phase, and then you have rooms where you're flowering, and then you have a drying room and a place where you trim, and then so you you want to you build out these rooms in there, and if it's not up to code or they get wind of something you know going on, they'll find that reason to come and uh, and pinch you. Mm, interesting. So uh, it, you mentioning these different rooms for the different stages? Is it <clears throat> doing it indoors like this? Are you basically just having a, a constant harvest yeah so the typical life cycle for an indoor grow is anywhere from like seven to ten weeks just depending on the strain and and, and your style of growing and, and the economics of it um kind of the standard that everybody does who's who's growing on any any big scale is an eight-week cycle that way you can stagger rooms so that you're basically pulling one every month Right or, or some, you know, depending on the size of the grow, there's there's there are people having harvest every week, um, because although you can maybe get a little bit better product by going an extra week or two and letting it mature that much, if you cut it down a week every cycle, that's you can fit in another cycle a year, right? And so right. when it comes down to um, your yearly uh, yield. It, it, it makes financial sense, but maybe not the best, like in the product sense for the purists out there that may want it to be a little bit more mature and, and higher quality. But you're you're going on a big industrial scale. You're, you're looking to make money. So how much is this spreading? It's it's interesting hearing you mention earlier about uh, water, electricity, stuff like that. It strikes me that Los Angeles would be a terrible place to do this. Like. Why sure. is this not being done other places, or is it? And it just also happens to be done a lot in los angeles like i don't understand why people wouldn't be moving out their operations the same way that like how uh san francisco bay area is the hub of tech and it's like that that still astounds me like i know a lot of people want to live there and there's just so much money um coming in from investors that that you know people are still putting their offices there to try to you know uh woo people in because it's like hey we know you already want to live here um we have so much money from investors just come here but then every now and then you hear about a company that's like hey we'll pay you like ten thousand dollars on a hiring day if you just go to like austin texas instead or something you know and it's like that makes a lot of sense to me i can't believe that literally every company isn't doing that you know or like that everyone's not just moving to seattle or austin or whatever else like if you have these weed grow operations there are major water problems in southern california like why would this not just be done in washington or something 
Well, it is Big Ten in Washington now. I mean, Washington has has their it's legal in Washington, right? Um, but you know, the the thing is with big cities, they're cultural centers, they're hubs. So, like, you know, it may, if you're doing like a telecommuting job, it's fine to go live in wherever, and you can still do your job. But in in terms of you know real hard asset type of stuff, you need to have a hydroponic store. And you need to be able to have the infrastructure to support your power and your water and your waste removal. Um, and so the further you are away from any sort of uh, hub of decent size, the more difficult those things become. Mm. Um, and also when you're, if you're working like kind of an, on a, if you're in an industrial space, which, which most of these grows are, most people aren't just growing in their apartment or anything, but if you're in an industrial space, as a business, you get breaks on stuff, right? So that's, that's kind of the, the benefit of that. Uh, business government uh, marriage that you get water rates and power rates that are, um, you know, the business level. Mm, Yeah, for sure. What would be the difference between growing outdoors versus growing indoors? So like uh, to the point of Washington, like Washington grows a lot of weed, Oregon grows a lot of weed, Northern California grows a lot of weed, just outdoors, like in nature, you know, Um, are there, uh, what like what would the pros and cons be to that? Like one pro that I'm just thinking of now is like that you get free rainwater. You don't pay anything for that. Uh, do the plants grow more robust outdoors than they would grow indoors? But maybe like you can't do the cycles as frequently or something. Right, right. So um, with outdoor the cycle, I mean because I mean I guess I'll, let me I'll I'll put it this way. So the way that you take a plant from its vegetative stage to its flowering stage is by manipulating light and to a degree the nutrients. And so when you're vegging a plant, um, you basically have it under either 24 hours of light or 18 hours of light and six hours of darkness. Um, And and that keeps it kind of in its pre-flowering stage. When you flip it into flower, you go 12 on, 12 off. And when you're doing that in nature, you can only do that from the sun at a certain point of the year, right? So that happens, uh, you know, sometime after the uh, equinox, right? Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, equinox yeah. is when it's full hours, right? So, um, and, and so then the, the cycle for outdoor basically takes six to nine months. And so on one hand, you have free light, from the sun. Water, I don't know how much people are using rainwater directly. I mean, they may be capturing it, but uh, you do want to um, monitor nutrients and pH and the PPM level of the water. And that's really, when, it come, when I said it comes down to kind of managing variables in environment, that's one of them. Um, marijuana absorbs nutrients from the roots best between 5.8 and 6.3 pH. And so if you have like acidic rain or too alkaline of rain, that can um, affect the way the plant ha- uh, uptakes nutrients. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure, actually I'm positive that people collect rainwater up in NorCal, but uh, um, afterwards they, you, know, you want to make sure that you have the right profile of nitrogen and phosphorus and all that stuff, depending on what cycle you are uh, or where you are in the cycle of the uh, of the growth. So, but it does take longer if you're doing it straight outdoor. Uh, there is something that people do now called what's called light depth, light deprivation. So they build these giant like retractable tarps over their grow 
uh, one, it protects it from the environment in general, like wind, pests, etc. But it also allows you to manipulate the life cycle so that you can have a quicker, more indoor-like turnaround time with an outdoor grow. Hmm. Uh, and so that's, you know, it's kind of somewhere in the middle between a true outdoor grow and an indoor grow. Um, and it, it looks that way too. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the difference in the weed, you know, an outdoor weed uh, is just, it looks a little rougher. You know, it looks like, it, you know, it's um, like outdoor people, <laughs> you know. Um, and so uh, the indoor stuff is way more clean and uniform in color, size, and shape. Um, and the, the light depth stuff is kind of in the middle there. Hmm. Why would you be wanting to deprive the plant of light? Or do, when they cover it, do they also put lights on it or something? No, no, it's to give it 12 hours on, 12 hours off. So, oh, right, right, right. Because there'd be way more sun than that during the summertime and stuff. Right, right. And so you can also, um, and you can do that multiple times throughout the year. So let's say you're in the summer where it's, 18 out where it is 18 hours of daylight or whatever it is in the summer, you can still kind of manipulate the light there. Okay. So how many, uh, I'm just trying to like keep this all in my head math wise and it's not working. So how many harvests, if you had a, just a true outdoor grow with, without doing any sort of light deprivation, um, how many harvests could you get per year? If you had the light deprivation outdoors, how many, harvest could you get per year and then if you were indoors how many harvests could you get per year hmm, that's a good question i mean i know outdoor usually i mean it's usually once per year is like the, the big harvest time although you may cut down the plants you know a few weeks at a time it's usually you know there is harvest season toward the end of the year the end of summer beginning of fall is when harvest season happens and that's when all the outdoor stuff comes from up north down to the city and you know, it, it floods the market, and uh, because it's cheaper, it uh, it really tanks indoor sales, um, just because it's, there's the abundance of it. Um, and so they're basically indoor, doing one major one per year, right? Right. Okay. And um, then how about you guys? Depth, and oh, indoor. I mean, uh, let's see. Depending on how many rooms you have it depends on how many rooms you have going but let's say it's an eight week cycle 52 divided by eight is like five or something right six seven six and a half yeah so six and a half a year if you're doing an eight week cycle hmm. um but you know at one of my places we have two rooms going so and there's they're four weeks off of each other so that's um 13 a year oh right god of right? course yeah so, so like, theoretically, you could be doing 52 a year, like if you just had like a massive, massive uh -huh. operation. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. That's awesome. Um, is there such thing as pushing a plant too hard? Like, you know, you mentioned that during the um, gestation phase that they're supposed to get a, a large amount of light during that time. And you said even up to like 24 hours of light. Like that strikes me as very strange that any plant would enjoy that when it could never really get that in nature. I mean, you know, unless it was like on the North Pole or something like how, uh, yeah. Is there such thing as pushing a plant too hard? Like if let's say during that 12 on 12 off period or something, you decided to like, be like, oh, maybe if we just gave it like 20 hours of light, it would, it would grow even more and grow even faster. And then the plant ends up just like crapping out at a certain point. Right. So it's not, it's not so much that you're 
pushing the plant with light. It's, it's really more of a, a signal, right? So a plant can really only photosynthesize 18 hours, and then it's going to stop photosynthesis. Uh, but the keeping the lights on for that long is really about inhibiting the flowering stage, right? It's more about um, signaling the plant to flower because, you know, the plant is getting, oh, wow, the days are getting shorter. They're getting to 12 hours. Uh-oh, uh, it's, summer is ending. It's time to start getting sexual is basically what it is. Right. Uh, marijuana plants are a female plant, and they're basically, uh, when they're producing these resins, the, the psychoactive components, uh, it's, it's trying to attract a mate. It's trying to get pollinated, really. So it's like a sexually frustrated plant. And so you're just depriving it of, of a male, and it's getting more and more aromatic and getting more and more crystally and, and waxy and all that stuff. Uh, but in terms of light, it's not about in, it enjoying it. It's about inhibiting the process of going into flower. So you, you inhibit that almost longer than it would happen naturally because when it's in that, that, that's how you end up with what? Just like really premium bud is by like nurturing and nurturing and nurturing, like hold, holding out until it flowers? No, it just depends. It depends on how you grow. Some people want big, tall, long plants. Uh, and the longer you veg it, uh, the, the taller it will get. Um, but there are also other things you can do. You can cut the tops off the plant, which will send what are called auxins, which are these kind of like growth-regulating hormones. It will send them out. It'll make the plant go grow outward when you top it. When you cut off the tops, the plant will grow outward more bushy, having more exposed surface area of the top of the plant. So you get, you know, the top of the plant has bigger, more robust buds. So you can manipulate the plant to have more tops and get, increase your yield. Um, so it's not necessarily about, vegging is to a degree about making a robust, happy plant, but it's also about manipulating size and your schedule um, to make the best product, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's um, try to break down this grow operation a little bit. So how, how large is, let's say, one of your warehouses, and then how many plants can you grow at one time it, it, it th at any point in the stage that they're at, um, are you growing in one single warehouse just so people can get like an idea of size? Cause most people know, you know, square footage and stuff. Yeah. Um, let's see. So yeah, that's tough. Uh, so one, let's say, let's do, let's do one where I've got the two rooms. Um, I couldn't tell you how many square feet. Let's see. Cause it's all kind of awkwardly spaced, but it's in the thousands of square feet, you know? Let's say, let's just say 10,000 square feet um, or 8,000 square feet. Um, so we've got two flowering rooms next to each other. And in there, we've got uh, 16 lights. With those 16 lights in each room, each room holds about 102, 104 plants, right? And so the metric that people go off of to determine kind of like the success of your yield is pounds per light. How many pounds of product are you yielding per light? Right. So um, the stand, the, like kind of the gold standard that it has been has been two pounds of light for a while. But, you know, that's also kind of a relic of the age where you could get $3,000 a pound. Now the price of pound is probably about $2,000 kind of just across the board. Um, Wholesale-wise. Uh, so now the, that metric 
is has increased to really like two and a half, and some people are now getting three pounds of light, um, and and that's just kind of a, a market force. Um, How are the is the is the quality still as good? Like, is the quality when you're getting two pounds per light the same as the quality when you're getting three pounds per light? Oh, that's uh, that's tough to say. It just depends on the grower. I mean, uh, quality is is so much a factor of genetics as well, and um, and the environment. You know, I could get two pound, two and a half pounds of light, but I could have messed up the carbon dioxide concentration or the humidity or uh, the right, temperature, right, and it could point. affect the density of the bud, or, or I didn't, I missed out on a nutrient. So it's yeah, ma- mass quantity is good, but you know, like the quality is is paramount as well. Yeah, for sure. Is this going to be a thing like? Uh, like a four minute mile where like now that mm. we've pushed past uh, like is, is it just going to keep getting uh, more and more and more and more and more or, or like because I would imagine if you were to talk to people back when it had been you know two pounds per light forever if you said like oh yeah I think we could do three pounds per light they would just be like what are you ta- that's a whole more pound like no like that's not going to happen and now that it's happened do you think there's a day where we're doing like four pounds per light five pounds per light Oh, I'm sure. I mean, to say no, I think would be foolish, but, uh, I I mean, there's going to definitely be some sort of limit, right. Until they come up with a new, totally new system. But, you know, now they're coming out with these like led lights and, uh, there's going to be, I'm sure there will be once these big companies come in, they'll, they'll figure out a way to do it. Um, how good it'll be for the consumer. I don't know. Um, they maybe start using plant growth regulators out the ass, which you know are really like plant steroids, and they're probably not that good for you. Um, but um, I'm sure we'll figure out a way to maximize yield, as as people always do. You know, it's only impossible till one person does it. Yeah, for sure, exactly. So tell us if if you could. We we've kind of skirted around it and, and talked about it here and there. If you could just go in like a straight chronological order for us of the exact grow cycle and how long the plants are in each exact phase for. Sure. Okay. So, um, most people are, when they're starting to grow, they're not starting from seed. Um, most people start by taking clones. So you take cuttings from just like wine, like you were saying, it is, it's so close to wine, you know, it's all one to a degree. It's all one plant but with different phenotypes, right? It's also like dogs, too. Like, dogs are all one species, right? But there are different breeds within that, different phenotypes. So it's all cannabis sativa uh, or cannabis indica, whatever however you want to phrase it. But within that, there's, you know, Dalmatian and Boxer and Great Dane and all that stuff, but they're all essentially um, one entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start out by taking clones. So you take the clones from a mature mother. So they're called mother plants. And they're plants that are basically per- kept permanently in the vegetative cycle. So you take a clone, you get cutting from that, and then you uh, dip the tip in rooting hormones. Um, and then you place them in whatever sort of uh, rooting cube you use. There are a few different types of medium that you can use, but they're basically little cubes. And, um, and you place them in there, and then you cover them up in a tiny little housing that keeps basically a little mini greenhouse. So because because the, the cuttings don't have any roots to uptake nutrients, uh, they rely on the humidity of the air, immediate air around them to, to stay alive. So you have to 
kind of seal them in a container. Uh, and it takes, uh, you know, 10 to 14, sometimes longer days to have those roots start to form. And once those roots form and they're, they're coming out of those rooting cubes is when you can transplant them to a smaller pot um, into whatever medium you're growing with. So some people are using what's called rock wool, which is that kind of um, foamy stuff that you see in mm -hmm. some types of plants, right? Uh, some people use cocoa, which is coconut husks. And they'll mix it with things like vermiculite, which is like a, a mineral. It's good for drainage and retaining, like keeping moisture balance in the soil. Some people grow in straight up soil, um, and so they, so you transplant the let's call the clone into that, and now you have a little baby plant. And from there, you um, you continue to veg it until it gets to the size that you want that's appropriate for your grow. Um, and that can be anywhere from two weeks to eight weeks. It, it, you know, however, it just depends on how you like to grow. Um, and then once you take it out of its vegetative cycle from the 24 hours of light to the 18 hours of light, uh, then what you want to gradually do, you don't want to shock the plant by right. going from 24-hour light cycle to 12 and 12. It'll stress the plant out. Um, so you take it to the 18 and 6. And then... Uh, what we do is we, we shut off the lights for 36 hours. We put it to sleep just to kind of reset it. I like to think of it, like in my weird mind, like um, you got to think these plants are operating kind of like a longer time frame than human consciousness does, right? So I think of it kind of like, you know how like if you have epilepsy and you watch an anime cartoon and it flashes all these lights at you, it can make you go nuts? Yeah. That's how I see the light cycle for plants is that it's, they're just getting on and off, 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 and it's causing it to bug out and produce these flowers. So the light, I see the light as a signal more than I see it as a nutrient. Um, so you, you rest them, and then when they come on, they're getting 12 and 12 and 12 and 12, and it causes them to flower. Uh, and during that flowering stage, you give it kind of more nitrogen-heavy nutrients for the first few weeks, and then once you get to, like, weeks three, four, and five, it kind of gets to a more phosphorus-heavy um, nutrient um, breakdown. And the phosphorus is what really like helps the plant create big buds and, and um, the resins and everything. And then that's about an eight-week cycle for us, nine weeks, just depending on the maturity of the plant. Um, and then after that ninth week, you flush the plants. Um, just to get out, clean the roots out, and clean out whatever remaining nutrients may be in the plant. What you, do you mean do you just like actually shower it with water? Or what do you mean by that term? Okay, um, with with uh, a a light nutrient feeding, so you flush the roots. So you're watering every other day, basically, and then every few waterings, you water like a, a one quarter strength solution, just to flush those roots out, let them breathe, make sure there's not accumulating too many salts on it that would block it from a, a, um, absorbing nutrients. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a colonic for the plant mm -hmm. or, or a fast. Um, and then, so you do that every few, every few feedings. And then, um, and then at the end, uh, well, I guess I can go back and say, there's also things like foliar nutrients where, because the plant does absorb nutrients, and moisture from the leaves, every once in a while you want to spray it with a foliar nutrient in the, in the beginning of the cycle 
especially when you flush. So when you're flushing the roots, you want to at least make sure that the plant's getting some nutrients, so you spray it with a foliar nutrient just to keep it, you know, happy and, um, and healthy. Um, and then during that growth cycle, you also want to make sure to keep, out, keep an eye out for, you know, things like spider mites or um, nutrient burning. So when you mentioned pushing a plant too hard, depending on the strain, you can have too much, um, too many nutrients in it. The PPMs, the parts per million, can be too high and cause um, burn. And so you look at the leaves and make sure there's not yellowing at the edges or spotting because that, that's a sign that you have uh, too high of a nutrient concentration. Hmm. Um, and some strains are, are more able to to take high nutrients than others. For example, Jack Herrera. I mean, it's such a robust strain that, you know, you can just, you could overfeed it and it'll, it'll be fine. Um, another thing to keep an eye out for is something called powdery mildew. And it's, it's, um, it's this little white powder mold that will form on the, the plants. If you're, you know, if you're not, keeping the humidity in check or if it's if the room is contaminated. So that's what the importance of like bleaching the room after you're done just to yeah. kill everything that's there. God, all uh, these things must just be so much easier indoors. I can only imagine like it, uh-huh. it's, it's just so much more difficult to control your environment outdoors. I mean, you're basically just not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's still a pain in the ass even indoors. So <laughs> it's, it's and depending on your location, you know, some locations just like, oh, well, this building has mites, you know, shit. This building, there's mold somewhere in this building. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, little home remedy type of stuff, organic ways to to control those things. And then there's also, like, the industrial ways to do it. Um, so you keep an eye out for all those things, and you do what you can to control it. And um, you also, if you really want to get kind of deeper into the details, there are ways of training the plant with either trellises or tomato cages to really ma- you manipulate the branches so that they grow in a certain way that you can make something what's called a sea of green. And that means like when you look, when you're looking at the room, it's like the plant is all tops and there's just a large canopy of top colas. And so it, like you just train the plant to make nothing but tops. So you really increase your yield and it looks really pretty. Too. Now, once they're grown, is it like grapes in that regard too? That it's like once, once your plants have grown and let's say you were to trellis them like that, you're just cycling. You don't, you don't need to grow them from scratch anymore. You're just cycling them back and forth forever and you're cutting off all the buds and, and then you start a new growth cycle again. You don't, it's not like you keep on needing to plant these yeah, clones you like every year. You do. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, you, once, once a plant has gone into flower, it, it cannot go back into a vegetative stage. So you do this eight hour or eight week cycle. Uh, you get to the end of the cycle and you flush one last time. And then you basically, uh, you cut the plant, cut the plant at the stalk at the, at the stem at the bottom and you let it dry out for like five days. And after those five days, we're all as much water as you can get evaporated is, evaporated then you can trim the plant you get your trimmers to come in or if you use a machine you have a machine do it and uh and you you uh manicure the plant to get it ready for sale and for curing and sale um but yeah after that those plants are dead those are done so you have to there's a constant kind of cycle going where you have to plan a few weeks ahead to make sure that you've got clones and plants that are in veg uh, that'll be ready to fill the room once you're done 
So it those once a plant is gone into flower, it will it's, it's done after that. Okay. So and again, I'm trying to keep the timeline of all this stuff in my head. So what are we looking at from the time of a clone to the time of you you cut the root and it's you know you cut the stalk and it's done? Uh, so eight weeks. Let's say eight weeks of flower, and then um, a few weeks of veg, and then a few weeks. I mean, you know, twenty weeks. Mm, no, sorry, not twenty weeks. I'll say fifteen weeks. So, by all accounts, these plants are growing quite fast. It sounds because I was just thinking, like, what you know, why would you even bother? with trellising and stuff like that or trying to manipulate the the shape if every time you're just going to start from scratch but are they growing like pretty darn oh, they fast can grow like, like the 2 inches a day wow that's incredible yeah it's a weed yeah <laughs> right right um they, they grow really fast yeah so talk to us about having a team and employees and first of all like where do you hire employees mm-hmm. uh, i actually make that second of all first of all in what parts of these stages do you need more employees? So even if you have like a big ass uh, warehouse, like the one where you have two separate rooms going on and stuff, are are there portions of time where you're more or less the only employee? It's like you just go in, you water a bunch, you move things from here to there, or do you do you constantly need employees? Um, and then obviously for the whole trim part, it, like once you start cutting up the weed into smaller pieces to be sold you have employees for that. Where do you hire people? Okay. So, um, you know, although having two rooms in a warehouse sounds like a big deal, it's, I mean, it's on, on the big grand scheme of things, it's not that big. So most of the time it is just me. Um, sometimes I'll have like one other person come in if we're doing, um, if we're potting up a room, if we're taking, you know, we're taking small veg plants and putting them into bigger pots and then we're getting the room ready. Um, to go into flower, that's it's somewhat labor-intensive and um, time-intensive, so it's helpful to have a, a couple extra hands around. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's a one-man operation. Um, and then, you know, but one, one thing that you do need a lot of people for is a build-out when you're building out a facility, right? Because you need a electrician, general contractor kind of diet deal to build out the rooms um and then air conditioning and water and all that stuff so that's when you kind of have to get a few people involved um but then for the day-to-day stuff for for something on my scale it's 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 just me most of the time um trimming is when you kind of need some people around right so um you know again this is all scale dependent but um you know having like six to ten people to take down a room of, you know, a hundred, hundred ish plants, you'll trim the room in a couple days. Um, and they, you know, they usually get paid by the pound, uh, of what they, what they produce. Uh, where do you hire these people? A lot of it's word of mouth. Um, some people, because we live in LA, there's some, there's like a lot of crews of kind of like artist types that, that this is their kind of like, day job as opposed to serving right so how much are they getting paid for a day depends on how much they trim it's by a pound so the kind of standard rate is 150 to 175 per pound if you're a good trimmer and the weed's good you can do over two pounds a day three pounds a day um up north up north in the humble that gold that emerald triangle area like outdoors yeah the rate and and also keep in mind they do indoor grows up there too 
a lot of, I mean, they, they have so much space that, you know, yeah, they've got their outdoor going, but it's real easy to put up a trailer or build a shack and do an indoor grow. Right. Power. And a lot of them run on solar or generators. So they are doing indoor stuff there. Um, the rate up there is usually 200 a pound. And because it's outdoor, sometimes the buds are, it's just, they're just bigger and heavier. So people are doing three, four pounds a day. So they're making 600, 800 bucks a day. And they're working every day for a couple months. And so you get this whole industry of like trimmigrants who go up to NorCal. They work for a couple months and they've made their yearly nut. And then they go travel or they do other stuff. Well, it's so funny too. Cause what, so what, what is the time frame for that? I'm sorry. Like what, what is that like month to two month period? That's in the fall, right? Yeah. Yeah, because there's so many people that like to be, let's say, like ski bums or, or, you know, let's say you wanted to live in a place like Lake Tahoe in California or something. And it's like, okay, well, there's like summer industry and there's winter industry. But the thing that there isn't for a lot of people is like fall or spring, you know. And if you then add this into the mix, it's like you could get yourself some kind of, you know, summer job, like being a water skiing instructor, a winter job being a skiing instructor. In the fall, you cut weed. And then in the spring, you just travel or something. And I'm kind yeah. of, as I say that, I'm convincing myself that I think maybe that's what I want to do for a living. That sounds Dude, not too bad. I, going up and trimming up north has gotten me out of a many of a many predicament. Um, and I know people that, you know, they go up, they work for a couple months, they make, like I said, uh, they're years worth of money, you know, 50, 60, 70 grand in a couple months. And then they get a bunch of free weed <laughs> and then they go do whatever else for the rest of the year. And then you can also find, you know, intermittent trim gigs up north or in the city. Um, and they're giving you a place to sleep for free during all this. Are they also feeding you? Yeah. So again, it, it varies. It varies uh, depending on, on the grower. But, you know, some places are like, hey, there's a tent. And you stay outside and we'll feed you. Some places are like, yeah, we've got little cabins or trailers and we'll feed you. And some places have masseuses. You know, it varies from working like in a sparse, you know, little uh, mom and pop shop to working for Google. Yeah, for in sure. In terms of like the amenities involved. Um, so, and it, you know, it, it's a little bit of a community too. So word of mouth is big and vouching for people is big and being able to, you know, keep a secret of where the location is, is big. So, um, but yeah, the, 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 the type of, uh, hospitality you get, it varies, but, um, yeah, it, it's for a lot of people, it's, it really, it kind of, it fits their lifestyle. And then trimming in the indoor in LA area, like you're saying, you can, you get about 150 a pound. You could probably, if you got decent at it, do about two pounds a day is getting decent at it just a matter of coordination and stuff yeah it's just some people pick it up quick some people it takes a while and, and it's also a product of quality of the plant right so um, if you were doing so you could you could make like 300 bucks a day in la uh, trimming weed yeah and you know but you know a trim you may only be on a trim for a couple days or you may be on it for a week and then you know, you don't get to another one for another month or something. It also depends on your network and how many people you know and how many harvests the grower is pulling down a month, right? So if you, if let's say you get in tight with a grower who has a harvest every month, that's great. You work a few days every month and make, you know, enough money to, to get along. Right, right. Man, this is all so interesting. It's It's like one of the, you know, like so many things in life, one of those things you learn about that there's just, there's always been this like 
whole network of people doing this thing and that have experience doing this thing and you just never knew that it's like happening right underneath your nose you know <laughs> yeah even though it smells you don't even know that it's <laughs> yeah totally man <laughs> it, it, you know i will say about trimming is that it's a very like meditative process you kind of get into that flow state of it's just like mindless. You're occupying your, your physical form in this way, like crocheting or whatever. And it's so repetitive and almost kind of gets you on autopilot that it like frees up this whole part of your brain to like solve problems or get creative. And like, so, you know, I've got, I've got these rooms with a lot of like actors and writers, these trim rooms and these trim rooms end up being like collab sessions. And some of these guys' best ideas come out of the trim room when there's a little bit of weed smoke going around and people are just, riffing the whole time and uh it, it i think especially for like artist types it's it's super beneficial it like you know you don't want to work nine to five every day five days a week for the whole month and you get to make some cash money and you're kind of in this little room this little kind of black hole of creativity it's uh it's pretty cool yeah for sure do you have any people that ever come in that uh, that don't smoke weed at all? Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.